Well, it's finally here. It's the beginning of our three-week sort of launch, and it's been a while since we've been able to do this, since we've been able to run full bore uh, as a church and kind of really feel like things are moving the way that maybe we are used to or that we would like to. And so we thought that this would be a great time to sort of circle back and revisit a little bit about who IPC is and what it's all about. Now, my name is Mike. If you uh, are new or haven't been here for long, I am the interim pastor here at IPC, which means that um, Pastor Chris was here for about 30 years, did an incredible job and a wonderful ministry, and he retired. And as the church takes a little bit of time before it starts its search for the next permanent pastor, I'm sort of here in the middle time. And one of the jobs of an interim pastor is to just ask a lot of questions to dig into stories, to figure out what's been happening, what's been going on, and what a church is all about. And so as I move through this series, I think it's really important for everybody to know that this isn't uh, my vision for IPC. This is the vision for IPC and the mission that we have discovered, that I have discovered together in talking to the staff and talking to elders and talking to many of the people that are out here and in consulting Scripture. And so what I'm just trying to do over the next three weeks is sort of consolidate some of that and talk about it as opposed to say what we should or shouldn't be doing. Because as I say to a lot of the the staff or even elders most of the time, all I'm really saying is a lot of things that get told to me back anyway. So that's just a little bit of context as to where we're headed and how we got there. Now, we're going to go through a handful of things over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to focus on a little bit of who the church is or what makes the church the church in the first place and where IPC fits into that. Next week, we're going to talk about a little bit more of the how, the how we do that, the ministries that we run and those types of things. And then in the third week, we're going to focus a little bit on our missions. We're going to have some interviews up here with folks that um, have been a part of our missions committee and uh, our, our people that we're supporting out both locally uh, and internationally in the mission field. And we're really excited about that as well. And that third week, of course, also comes with the highly anticipated return of the IPC soup lunch. Yeah, so we're all really excited about that. Because let me tell you, it was February when I first heard about the soup lunch. And then I heard it about again in March. And then somebody in April asked, and I don't think there's been a month that's gone by that I haven't been asked about soup. And so because I listen and then know what's important from the amount of times I hear something, of course, we're going to do that. So we're really excited about that. We're going to start this morning with a little bit of scripture, uh, just sort of framing the church and what it's called to be. So we're going to start here in Matthew 16. And Jesus says this, Uh, But what about this, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed to you uh, not by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, this is the first time scripturally that we actually see the word church. And the word church in Greek translates into this word called ekklesia. And what it means is to be, it's those that are called out. And in the context, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, on you, I will build this group of people that will be called out in my name. 
Now, Jesus wasn't talking about building a building or an institution or a set of rules or guidelines or a structure or policy. What he was talking about was a group of people that would go out, that were called out in his name and be his representatives, God's representatives on earth. Peter is both uh, an individual representation of this, which is cool, and a larger set in, uh, representation because, of course, it trickles down many years later to us. In Matthew 28, uh, we read again Jesus talking, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this section we call the Great Commission. And this is Jesus' final instruction to the disciples, those apostles that we spent all summer uh, talking about. And he says, your job is to go out to tell people about Jesus and to make disciples of them. Not just here, not just in this town, in this little corner of the world, but everywhere. And just so you know, I will be with you every step of the way as you do it. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, which is a letter to a church in a town called Ephesus. So this is after Jesus has uh, been raised uh, back into heaven, and uh, Paul has gone around and planted a bunch of churches around the Mediterranean Rim, and one of those churches was in this town called Ephesus, and so he's writing to that church in this letter, and he says this, so you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here, Paul is teaching a group of new Christians, uh, Gentiles, people who didn't grow up not only around the Jewish law, but of course around the idea of Christ at all in the same way that we probably have. He's teaching them what the church is based on. And what he's saying is that the foundation was built by the apostles and the prophets, but the cornerstone of the church, the central part, is Jesus. And he's teaching them to remember that. And I think he's teaching them to remember that uh, to make sure that they stay focused, that they stay on task, but also because sometimes we can veer off a little bit and get distracted. And this happens in another church in a town called Galatia when he writes a letter to this group called the Galatians. And in it he says, uh, Paul again, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all, at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I say to you again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So now Paul is talking to a church in Galatia that, uh, now we can read the whole, the whole book, the whole story, but it's a church that's really become distracted by a handful of things. And they have lost their view, they've lost their way 
they've lost that cornerstone piece of what the church is supposed to be. And God instructs them that if they are to if they move away from that, that they shouldn't be cursed or condemned or corrected necessarily by those around them, but by God Himself, which is really interesting too. And so the question that we need to figure out, the basis, the foundation part here that we need to make sure we talk about before we can move on in the rest of this series is, like, who is the church? Or what is the church? What's it all about? How did it come to be? How do we figure out how to identify that and move forward in the way that God has intended? And we're really excited to do that, and and I think that it's really important to do this because after really what has been a very up and down three years, a time where there's been a lot of distractions, a time where there's been a lot of things to look away from or things that could pull us away from the point of the church in general, that I think it's a pretty good time that we're all here together to refocus, to double down on how the church was created and that that's where we should be and live and move. And that's sort of why we're doing this this morning. So I've got a question for you, and it's this. Do you know anybody who's ever gone through an identity crisis? Do you know anybody who's ever gone through an identity crisis? Somebody that you've maybe known, maybe a sibling, a family member, a friend, somebody at work, somebody who's making decisions that just don't seem to make sense, they're inconsistent, they're not always rational, they're a little bit here, they're a little bit there, and you just look at that person and you go, man, that person really just doesn't know who they are right now. Now, this happens all the time, uh, and multiple uh, health books and websites say that these are mostly caused by stressors. And so there's a lot of stressors that can cause somebody to go through an identity crisis, uh, getting married or divorced. Uh, So not always bad things, just stressors uh, can be something that causes an identity crisis. Uh, Moving, getting a new job, experiencing a death, or some other traumatic event can trigger a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, Losing a job, having a serious illness, or something that was unforeseen, or, as we've experienced in the last couple of years, a pandemic of global proportions could cause some people to really look inward and have a bit of an identity crisis. Now, either way, an identity crisis almost always leads people to asking two main questions. The first one is, who am I? Who am I in all this? How does this work? And the second one, which isn't maybe as obvious, but is really what people are trying to figure out, is what am I for? Who am I and what am I for? And and there's there's no doubt that there are a lot of resources that you can uh, try to explore to help you answer these questions. There's entire sections of bookstores that are focused just on self-help and figuring out who you are with titles such as The Power of Positive Thinking, The Magic of Thinking Big, You Can Heal Your Life, Awaken the Giant Within, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, and of course my favorite, Why Did I Do That? I need to read that book. I think I would probably learn something. 
Now, anytime you're going through an identity crisis, you're really just trying to ask those two questions. Who am I and what am I for? Okay, so let's set people aside for a second. Now, organizations or businesses can go through an identity crisis as well, much for the same reasons and the same ways. Most organizations or businesses have a mission statement, they have an identity, they have something that they're trying to accomplish. But again, stressors uh, can cause those to sort of go into a bit of a flux. Uh, stressors like staff turnover, leadership change, financial insecurity, a drop in popularity, a loss of enthusiasm, or a global pandemic, right? All of these things are stressors in businesses and organizations, and these can cause a lot of tension. And again, get those to ask, who am I and what am I for? So people go through this, but so do organizations. Now this is the interesting thing. Because churches can go through this too. Churches can go through a bit of an identity crisis and ask those two questions. Who am I and what am I for? The interesting thing about this is that churches' identities, unlike a person's identity or an organization's identity, aren't based on an individual. They're based on something bigger. You can start a business. You can decide what you want to build, what you want to sell, what service you want to give, and then you can set the mission for that business and away you go. To a certain degree, you can do that with yourself. Who am I? What do I support? What do I like? What does that look like? And you can go together. But a church's mission, a church's who am I, and a church's what am I for, are actually already mandated. That's not something that we get to decide because the church isn't a human organization or a human institution. Now, I ran across this blog post a little while ago, and I thought about summarizing this blog post, and as I was trying to do it, I realized I couldn't, because it was just written too well. And so although I'm not a big fan of large excerpts and services like this, I'm going to give one right now and hope that you just follow along, because I think there's a lot in here that talks about who the church is is. So let's read it together. You can read it. I'll read it out loud. That would be weird, right? Okay. Often, Christians define the church in one of two primary ways. We see it as a theological institution, or we see it as a social organization. But usually, we lean to one of two sides, which I think is probably true. In fairness, the church is a social organization with a theological orientation, but placing too much emphasis on one of these aspects over the other can be problematic. We end up missing out on the essence of the church's nature, what the church was meant to be. We should begin by recognizing that the church is unique among human institutions. This is because... Uh, it's not of human origin. The church is God's idea. And we read about that already in Scripture. He created it. He has sustained it, and He dwells within it. This means that we can't understand the church using human categories or definitions. Instead, we must understand the church as something divine. Is everybody with me so far? 
I got four nods, which is about the average in a church service, so we'll keep going. The church is a body, is the body of Christ. It serves as the visible manifestation of God's presence in the world through His people. We who make up the church are members of that body because of His Spirit living in and working through us. This means that the church is also, by definition, a spiritual community, which we know. As a spiritual community, it makes sense that the church would have a theological or social, or sorry, theological or spiritual, and a social community character. The church is God's plan for us to know and grow in our understanding of Him, and it's also His plan for revealing Himself to the rest of creation which is really interesting. It's deepening our faith and introducing people to Jesus, which we'll get to in a second. So if God's purpose for the church is to be His presence in the world, alive and at work in His people through the Spirit, then our understanding of how to be the church and what we are supposed to do as the church must always be informed by this reality. Now, some of you might have read that and gone, I feel like I've read those quotes before. They sound very familiar. And if they do, it's because about a month and a half ago, James wrote them for our church's blog, which is really cool. What a great definition of the church. What a great scope. What a great look. So, what is the church? This is that first question of identity. Who am I? Or who is the church? Well, the church is created by God and answers to God. Now, some of this stuff, some of you are sitting here, some of you are veteran church people, and I know that. And some of this might seem a little obvious, but every once in a while, that obvious, that stuff that we take for granted, we lean back on a little, and that's how we start to drift, and that's why we're here this morning. So even if some of this stuff sounds like a given, I still want you to lock in a little bit to make sure we're all together and on the same page. The church is created for the purpose of spreading the gospel message and for community of those of us who are in faith, to build a deeper faith. The church is the body of Christ here on earth. That's what it is. That's who the church is, in summary, right? We had a nice big thing, but, but in summary, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's created by God. It's created to tell people about God and to worship. And it's, and it's manifested here on earth by those of us that are here. It's Christ living here on earth among and through us. Now, what is the church for? Now, that's an interesting question too. What is the church for? That's that second part that people often try to ask when they're trying to figure out who their identity is. And to find that out, I think we look to see what Jesus was for. We saw earlier that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. So what better way to know what the church is for than to know what Jesus was for. And so, because I'm a pastor, I picked three things. Here are the three. The church, or Jesus, is for telling people about God. That's the first one, right? And we see that all over the place. Jesus risked His life actually almost every day 
we see a lot of moments in Scripture where it says Jesus moved from this place to that place because he knew that he wasn't safe or people were after him. And he kind of stayed ahead of the curve, but he was always at risk all of the time. Uh, Jesus was uh, for telling the good news to everybody. Of course, we know this from the Great Commission. Jesus was for telling people about God and, and he showed them the image of him and he showed anybody he could. And we learn that through stories like uh, the Good Samaritan or the woman at the well. There wasn't anybody outside the bounds that was outside of society or that was viewed a certain way that shouldn't learn about him. And we know that Jesus was for that, for telling people about Jesus because he spoke all the time in public. So much of our teaching and the things that we know come from this big sermon in Matthew chapter 6 called the Sermon on the Mount. There's many other examples, but here are just a few that show us that Jesus was for telling people about God and teaching people about Him. Second, Jesus was for people having a deeper faith. He started this as a kid. He stayed behind at the temple when everybody else left. You don't do that unless you want to learn more, unless you want to deepen more. What a cool example even for us to look at and go, even young Jesus was hungry to learn and deepen his faith. He helped those around him deepen their faith by performing miracles, by doing things like feeding the 5,000, by walking on the water, by saving people, by raising people from the dead around him, giving people the ability to deepen their faith through those acts. He encouraged people that deepening their faith was important in moments like when the sick woman touched his cloak and was healed and he turned to her and he said, your faith has made you well. Or when the soldier uh, whose servant was sick came to him and said, I don't even need you to go to my house. You saying the words was enough. And Jesus said, you don't need me to come here. Your word is enough. I haven't seen a faith this strong in anybody in all of Israel. Jesus celebrated deepening faith. He helped people do it, but when he saw people of deep faith, he also celebrated it and pointed it out. And third, Jesus was for serving others. And we know this because we've seen it all throughout his ministry. Whether he was lifting up a marginalized group like women or children or orphans, whether he was bringing people to him in moments that nobody else would, where he was picking up uh, different groups like Samaritans and lifting them up because he was in the business of serving anybody and everybody. And of course, he sacrificed his life to serve us. His whole life was about service. That, that last supper, he's sitting around with a group of disciples and washes all of their feet something culturally that was completely in reverse based on his position, but he said, I'm here to serve you. So what was Jesus for? He was for introducing people to Jesus. He was for the deepening of your faith. And he was for serving others. So let's take all this information together and then let's ask the question, who should IPC be? And the question becomes, pretty obvious. Who are we? Well, we're a group of people who believes that introducing people to Jesus is really important. We're a group of people that believes that deepening our faith is really important. And we're a group of people that believes that serving others is really important. We are a group that is 
for others. We're a group that is for a deepened faith. And we're a group that is for service. Because we know that our mandate doesn't actually come from us. It comes from God. And so a person can have an identity crisis. And an organization or a business can have an identity crisis. But really, if we're doing it right, a church shouldn't. Because there's no crisis in the identification of the identity because it is so well laid out for us from the very start. Now here's the warning. We read that last part. That last section of Scripture from Galatians where Paul is looking at this church and he's warning them, hey, don't get distracted. Don't let things that don't matter or aren't a part of the identity or the way or the the reason that, that God formed this church to distract you from the point of it. The purpose is to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith and to serve others. But those purposes can be very easily looked away from when we get distracted by outside factors. If we're not diligent about knowing this stuff, if we don't take time every once in a while just to remind ourselves and refresh that, then it's pretty easy to get distracted. We bring in our own preferences. We bring in our own wants and needs. When the church isn't diligent about what it's for, the church can accidentally and very quickly become more about what it's against, which can be really damaging. Because a lot of times through Scripture, we see a group of people that we know as what they were against. It's this group that we call the religious leaders. Some of them were Pharisees. Some of them were Sadducees. Some of them were other religious leaders. But often when we see them in Scripture, they're coming up to Jesus going, how, how can you be doing this? Shouldn't you be against those people or this thing or that thing? And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm for here. Can you imagine if Jesus, if this teaching of Jesus we had all we learned about him is what he was against. But that's not how he taught it. He taught us about what he was for. And as the church, I think that's important for us to look at too. And it's a fine line, but here's how it can manifest itself, right? IPC's mission, the church's mission, and, and because of that, IPC's mission doesn't change because the world around it changes. Our mission stays the same. IPC's purpose doesn't change or the focus on introducing people doesn't change just because of something like a pandemic. A pandemic adjusts how we can do it, but it doesn't adjust the why or the purpose or the foundation. IPC's focus on deepening our faith doesn't change because we agree or disagree with whatever governmental or organizational or denominational authority we sit under. We can disagree with that stuff all we want, but the foundation of the church isn't built in that stuff. That doesn't mean we don't act on it. That doesn't mean we can't make decisions based on it, but it means that's not what the foundation is based on. We still deepen our faith. IPC's focus on serving others doesn't change because of music choice or the amount of staff members we have or how many lights or projectors or whatever we have. None of that really affects it because service is built into the purpose of the church to begin with. So our mission statement here at IPC is 
to be a church that exists to introduce people to Jesus, deepen our faith, and serve others at home and around the world. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we can do that. There are different flavors of and strategies to introduce people to Jesus in deepen faith and serve others around the world. And every church does it a little different. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how IPC does it. We're going to talk about the how. But this morning, it was really important to start with the why. Why are we here? Why are we a church? We're a church because the church was created by God to begin with. To serve Him, to glorify Him, and to talk about Him everywhere we go. The church was, inter- was, was created to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith, and to serve others. That's why we're here. And the cool part is, is that from a Scripture perspective... That's something that I've always known. But from an interim pastor at IPC perspective, what I've learned is you already know that. This is a church that already believes that. It was in the mission statement before I got here. I didn't create that mission statement. It was the one that was already here. It was the one that already existed. And that's really neat because you're a church that gets it. Do we get distracted every once in a while? Sure. And that's going to happen. But the important part is to make sure we stay focused on the mission, on what God called us to do. That we don't let the little things tear us apart or distract us from what Christ has called us to be. And so as we sort of relaunch after three years of a little bit of in and out and distraction and turmoil, as we move forward and as you move forward with a leadership team that is going to change a little bit, and as there are distractions all around us all the time, my encouragement to you is to make sure you remember that core piece, why the church started in the first place, and what we're supposed to do about it. So that every time we enter this building, we keep that in mind, but more importantly, every time you exit this building. You keep that in mind too. Amen? Oh, there was more than four, so that's good. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for giving us the opportunity to be your representatives here on earth. Thank you for sending Jesus to live, to teach us what it's all about to be a follower of you. For giving us access that they didn't have to you before then, for giving us opportunities to learn from direct stories and moments of how to treat people and how to be the church in the world. And God, the church still faces its critics and some outside noise and some things that we need to come up against. And Lord, the church, because it's not a human institution, is sometimes countercultural and is something that we need to not go along with everything that everybody does all the time, God. And that's really hard, and that's one of those distractions that we pray that you would keep us from. Lord, I pray that as IPC moves forward, as its goal is to be the church in this community and around the world, to be a representative of you, to be somebody, to be a church, to be an organization that teaches people about you, that introduces people to you, that 
deepens the faith of those that are here and that has a posture of service. God, that, that you would just help us do that and figure out how to do that in the best way that we can. Thank you for trusting us with that. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to not just sit by and serve you, to just not sit idle, but to get involved and get active in what you want to happen in the world. And I pray that you would continue to bless all of the people here in IPC and the Capital C Church as we all try to accomplish that together in your name. Amen.